We're going to jump into scripture here this morning. And um, did you guys enjoy that message last week from Stephen Furtick on the DVD? Wasn't that encouraging? Good stuff. I hope you guys applied it to your life this week and preached back the words of, of truth into your lives. What? You're doing better than you think you are, right? Because God believes in you, because God is in you. And because he's in you, you're doing way better than you think you are. But I want to take you guys back. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this morning. And I'm praying that God speaks to you this morning. He spoke to me a lot as I was preparing it, and I think you're going to get some stuff out of it, and I think it's going to do something to empower you. But way back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there is a chapter where Paul was talking about godly authority in our lives and talking about basically it was a call out for all of us as Christians to submit to the authority that God has put in our lives, that God has put people in our lives, our pastors, but even our friends, people that just speak for God in our lives, and that we're all supposed to somehow be in submission to someone else, that no one is above answering to someone else or allowing someone to speak into our lives, to challenge us, to push us, to confront us sometimes. Because basically God's saying, if you can get used to the habit of submitting to other people I put in your life, then basically it shows me that you have a submitted heart to God himself, to Jesus Christ. Amen? And so it's kind of like good practice for us is to realize there's people in my life. I got to learn this act of submission because really that's what God is telling me to do towards him is be submitted and be obedient to him. So we, we talked about that and that's good. We should all understand like there's people in my life that got to speak to me and I'm not going to make it hard for them. I'm going to honor them. I'm going to listen and receive from them. But today we're talking kind of like the shoe on the other foot is that this godly authority is not just for us to submit to other people, but God has given every one of us that calls ourselves a Christian godly authority to speak into other people's lives. Do you believe that? Yes. Because we, because we have God in us and what he's given us, which we're going to look at today, we actually have the authority and we need to walk in that authority. Last week, Stephen Furtick challenged us, walk out there, be encouraged, do the, do the deed, activate the faith. But sometimes we forget that we actually have that authority. We have authority over sin in our lives. We have the authority over temptation in our life. We have the authority over the hardship that comes our way, the tragedy, the loss, the hurt, the painful stuff. We have the authority to come in there and go, you know what? I'm dealing with that stuff, but I don't have to give in to that stuff because I have the authority to take charge of anything that's getting in the way of me and what God's best plan is for my life and for people around me. Does that make sense? Anything that, is, whether it's sin, whether it's hurt, whether it's loss, whether it's the lies of the enemy, we're supposed to take up our God-given authority and stand strong and say, I'm going to do something about this because God has called me to do this. Here's the picture of kind of what I get is, again, I've got another Richter the dog story. You guys ready for it? My, my new dog, Richter, I'm actually saying my dog. Oh, careful, careful. My wife and kid's dog, right? It's just, he lives with me. He's there. I don't want to get too attached yet. I'm not really 100% sold on him yet. He stinks a little bit. So, so getting there, right? That dog smell. You guys know what I'm talking about? You pet the dog. Oh, sick. Wash your hands. That's me. I'm not a dog lover yet. I'm getting there. I'm a dog liker as of right now. I'm not a lover yet. So we got this little dog. He's a Chihuahua Jack Russell. So he's a small little guy, right? The stubby legs and real smart. And he's, he's fun. I'm warming to him, like I said. But um, it's interesting how God uses stuff in our lives, the everyday stuff, sometimes the stuff that we're not really comfortable with, to teach us lessons about him, doesn't he? You guys ever relate to that? You just like, sometimes you're wondering why God gave you that irritating person, and it's like for a reason, right? It's for you, it's not for them, it's like for you to learn patience, so God does that. So I'm learning all these life lessons through this dog, and my wife and I have all these deep theological talks about the Lord through Richter the dog, right? And so here's one of the things that I, I've, I've learned lately is that this little dog, he's a puppy, he's like almost three months old. Um, we got him at about two months old, and he goes around, and he's hyper because he's a puppy, right? For the most part, he's pretty well behaved, and, and um, we're learning to, to deal with him and feed him, and, you know, he's learning all his little commands and stuff like that. He's, he's doing all right, but he's still a puppy. So sometimes he gets real excited, and he just runs around, like, all the time and just wants to bite you, and not, like, in a bad way, but just to play, you know, and he's, like, biting, and my cousin was over last night, and she's holding my daughter, and then the dog's just, like, clamping onto her leg, and he's not mean, being mean, he's just, like, excited, like, ah, here I am, you know, <laughs> chasing her all around, but here's the deal. For the most part, we can handle the dog, he's good, we, you know, we can deal with him, even the kids, they're like, all right, you know, it's cool, but when he gets into little playful puppy mode, like, when there's a lot of people in the house and stuff, he does that little, like, puppy ADD thing, and he's just like, ah, and he goes all around, just kind of tweaking out on the kids and stuff. And the kids, here's what a, a lesson I've learned. I watch them 
And I'm just like, what the heck's going on? My 11-year-old son and my 14-year-old daughter, when that puppy goes into crazy puppy mode and he's just running around wanting to play and bite and all of that kind of stuff, they run to the couch, they jump up on the couch, and they start screaming, help, help, Richter's going crazy. And I'm like, okay, wait a minute. You're 14, you're like almost as tall as me. You're 11, you're a little bit shorter. This dog is like 10 inches high, <laughs> six and a half pounds. He's only like this big. All you have to do is open the door and kick him out. <laughs> it's no big deal, right? And I don't mean kick, because I get all the complaints like animal cruelty, pastor. I'm not meaning that. I'm just saying that you're bigger, you're stronger, you can easily lift him into his little cage, kennel, whatever he has, right? And you're good. Or you can easily just shoo him out the door or he's coming to bite at you. He's six and a half pounds, he's this big. Just tell him no, it's not a big deal. Use the authority that you have. You're big, he's small, right? You guys get the picture? And what God was telling me in this, in studying this verses, sometimes us as Christians, we forget the authority that we've been given. We forget to walk in power and truth and strength and everything that God has equipped us with and a tragedy comes our way. Or someone comes and kind of questions our faith. Or we go through something where we're tempted to have like a, a hot temper or, or whatever. Like there's a, a, a temptation that comes along and you know what we do? We go jump on the couch. Ah, God, help me, right? And what God is saying is, what would 1 John 4, 4 say? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world right? And we need to take up our godly authority and understand, wait, I can take control of the situation. I can step in here and I can intercede for people that need to know the Lord because God will give me the words to say if I need the words to say. And when the sin comes at me or this hurt or this, this hard thing or whatever, wait a minute. God has authorized me to take control of the situation, to be light in a dark world, to take control of my circumstances through his power, not just me, but it's his power in me. It's godly authority. And that's what Paul is calling us to this morning. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 on godly authority and us really, really grasping that we have control over circumstances because God is with us. He's all for us. He's on our side. He's working in us. And so we actually have more strength and authority than we think we do. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1, Paul is obviously making his appeal to the Corinthian church. Guys, turn to God, stay strong, get back on track here. Most of the Corinthians have done that. There's still a few in Paul's life, like in my life and in your life, that are critics of everything we do, and they judge us, and they go, who are you to, do, to say what you say? Who are you to act the way that you, where does your authority come from? Who do you think you are? And this is what Paul's dealing with in this chapter. He says, now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ, though I realize you think I am timid in person and bold only when I write from far away. They're basically kind of writing him off. They're basically saying, you know, Paul, you talk a big, big talk. You talk a big fight. You write all these letters and stuff, but then we see you in real life. You're not much. You're not much. Who do you think you are? And so Paul is saying, well, I'm begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think that we act from human motives. In other words, he's going, you think I'm, I'm something special on the way you judge things by human motives. But let me tell you something. He says in verse 3, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to be obey Christ. And after you've become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. This isn't a call against non-Christians or a judgment against them. He's talking about believers. He's going, hey, you know what? You guys need to be obedient to God. Paul's not talking about be obedient to him. He's going, those of you that are out of alignment, that you call yourselves Christians, you're not obedient to God, then there's consequences you got to deal with. But you think that I'm going around, Paul's saying this, kind of tooting my own horn, but what he's saying is, you know what? I'm not fighting on the basis of human authority. I'm coming at it with God's weapons, not human weapons. And I want you to write down in this sermon, um, if you guys look at your notes, there's six points on there. I guarantee you we are not getting through six points today. There's no way. I just got fired up, and that's going to be part two next week. But I'm going to do my best to get through three of them. But in the midst of going through those points in your notes, I want five things that I want you to write down because I believe that we print the notes for a reason, that you write them down because sometimes you can sit, and you guys know in school, in class, you sit there in class or sit there in church, and you hear something, you think, yeah, that's good. You walk out the door, and suddenly lunch is on the mind, beach is on the mind. Got to get my kids from the childcare. I got to do all of this kind of stuff, right? And we forget about it. 
So the reason that we take notes is really, let's, let's remember it. Let's write it down. Let's go and look back at this. Let's go to mini church this week and have something to say. Here's what God is doing in my life through the notes that I was taking. So I want you to write down five things. And here's the first thing I want you to write about godly authority and personalize it. Write this. I am equipped to resist the enemy. We're talking about godly authority here. And you got to understand, first of all, that God didn't just authorize you, but he equipped you to take up that authority and to combat the enemy, to resist the enemy in your life. You gotta realize that. One of my friends recently became a police officer. She went through the academy, she did all this stuff, and when she graduated and they put her out there on the streets and in the car and go, go fight the bad guys. You know what they do? They don't just say, okay, here, you've graduated, you're a police officer now, here's a uniform, and go fight the bad guys, good luck, and shake her hand. But they actually go, you know what, we're gonna equip you to deal with the people that you got to deal with, right? And she, I remember her going through the process and telling us, hey, you know what, I got my gun today. Where they're teaching us how to use the gun and everything. I'm like, wow, that's cool, you know? And, and then um, she talks about, oh, and we got handcuffs. And she just talks about all the stuff that the police department has equipped her with to go out there and resist the enemy. You guys get what I'm saying here? God doesn't just say, hey, good luck, go do something about that. The enemy's going to come at you. Hope you're okay. He basically says, I'm giving you the tools and the weapons necessary. She got handcuffs, she got pepper spray, she got taser, she got her gun. You know that they don't carry the, um, the billy club anymore, you know, or what do they call it, that thing? I thought it was like the billy club or the nightstick. You know that cops don't carry that anymore? That that's the thing of the past? That they, what they have is the baton. How many of you guys actually knew that, that everything had changed? I didn't know that. Hopefully the ones of you that know that isn't because it got used on you. <laughs> but... You know, they used to have that stick, and I'm like, you guys don't carry that? No, we don't carry that. That's old school. I'm like, what? No, we got this baton. It's like made of metal, and it's a telescoping thing. So you pull it out, and you, and it flicks out, and now you can hit people from farther away, right? <laughs> it's a cool deal. I was like, wow, the baton. But bottom line is, I'm learning about all these weapons and this equipment. Bottom line is, the police department doesn't just say, go out there and do your best. They equip you and how to deal with the bad guys. The same thing, we got to realize, I am equipped to resist the enemy because the enemy will throw stuff at us. The world will throw stuff at us. And Paul lists some of them right here, pride and confusion and arguments. But I think some of the things he uses aren't even on this list, but they're part of it, fear. How many of you guys know that the enemy uses fear in a big way in our lives? And he knows that if he can make us afraid and scare us, we're like my kids up on the couch. Ah, I can't do anything. In reality, we should be taking charge, using the weapons he's given us, stepping down, kicking the dog out the door, right? I'm bigger, right? My God is bigger in me. And we've got to understand that he's going to use fear at us. He's going to use confusion. He's going to use the false beliefs, the worldly ideas. We start to think, wait, is Jesus really the only way, the truth, and the light? Or can I go with this religion or make up my own religion or do this other thing as long as we're all happy? And sometimes we get confused. And God goes, no, I've given you weapons to fight against that stuff. Those are false beliefs. you got to really believe in me. And he gives us the ability to fight against the devil's lies. See, there's lies that the devil uses all the time that I think are so powerful. The lies that say, we look in the mirror and we say, I'm a failure. We lose our job, and instead of realizing that it's because of the economy or because of conditions or recession or whatever, we go, it's me. I suck. Man, I can't even hold down a job. And because you have, you have hurt times or you're going through the valleys in your relationship, what do you do? Oh, it's never going to get better. I'm just a terrible person, or she's a terrible person, or he's a terrible person. In reality, you got to listen to God who's trying to diffuse those lies and say, no, there's still hope. Hold on to me. It's okay. You're going to make it through another day. But we listen to all of these kinds of crazy lies that come alongside in our, in our brains. It's too late for you. God can't do anything. You've messed up your life so far. It's too late. It's all over. Or what about the situation you get into sometimes and it feels hopeless Maybe it's tragedy, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's something where you're just like, you know what, God can heal everybody else, but he doesn't want to heal me. Those are lies from the pit of hell. Those are lies that we sometimes make so comfortable in our lives that we lived with them for so long, we don't even see that they're lies anymore. Why? Because they're so familiar. They're just always, we just always believe in them, and we don't see them for what they really are. But what they're doing is they're holding us back, they're paralyzing us from reaching out and doing good in this world and blessing other people and us getting the best life possible, getting right next, close to God. You guys believe that? There's lies that we believe. And my wife was telling us this at mini church the other night. She deals a lot with a prayer and healing ministry where a lot of it has to do with setting people free from lies and deliverance and praying over people, using God's weapons to kind of erase the lies in our lives, at least to show them for what they really are. She said in her life, 
she, as she's gone through stuff and what she sees with other people is that when God comes in to your life and you use his weapons and you fight against the lies of the enemy, suddenly what happens is you take a hold of what God is saying and it's like a light goes on. And you saw all the things that you believed about yourself before that you absolutely thought were totally true in your life. And when God comes in and you flick the light on, you're just like, wait, wh why was I believing that? That I was a part of that? What's going on? She said it's like the Saturday Night Live sketch. Anybody Saturday Night Live? You guys watch that show? Come on, it's funny, it's good, it's okay. You can say in a church, you watch it. I'm not going to judge you, but you know, Saturday Night Live, you know, and sometimes like the content's questionable, I get that, whatever, but it's funny show. Never mind, I don't, I'm going to get myself into trouble if I, I'm not endorsing it, I'm just saying. If you happen to have been channel surfing and you flicked on it, oh, is that what the show's all about? Anyway, there's a sketch on Saturday Night Live where it's got a whole bunch of people at a party and the lights are all dim and it's like disco ball and everybody's super hot and they're trying to get with each other and like, hey, how's it going? Music and you know the whole deal, right? And someone comes along and turns the light on and, and everybody sees each other as they really are and they're all just totally ugly, just messy, like, hey, how's it going, you know? And it's just like, oh, what, what is this? And everybody freaks out. As soon as the light goes on, it's like you see things for how they really are. And she's saying that this, is that sometimes we believe the lies so much that it takes Jesus, who is the light of the world, to come along and to flip the switch. God's weapons overpower what the enemy's trying to do. And we see those lies and we go, what the? I was believing that? Oh my gosh, God, I am so sorry. But that's what God can do. He helps us to fight those lies and the strongholds that the enemy throws at us. And what are the godly weapons if we're supposed to be equipped? Well, Ephesians 6 gives us a pretty cool list in the armor of God. Right there, look at what some of the stuff that the armor of God gives us. It says to put it on daily. The helmet of our salvation. Protect your mind with the thought that says, I am saved, I am set free, I have been rescued, I am not drowning in my sin anymore. Let me keep that on my head to remind me of the goodness of God that he has saved me. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. When I put on God's righteousness, I'm not someone that walks around in my life looking back over my shoulder thinking, I'm guilty, I'm guilty, I'm guilty. But I'm walking in integrity. I'm walking in his righteousness. He puts me set aside for his purposes and says, I'm holy. The breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. Should I believe all that the world is telling me or should I believe God and his word? And you line things up according to that standard. The shoes that are quick to run to peace. You know, peace is such a thing that we often, I think, take for granted. That we take for granted, oh, peace, yeah, that's not a big deal. No, that's a big deal. When we're dealing with the chaos of life and our minds are going crazy and stressed and we can't sleep and we're snapping at people, it's so good to know, wait a minute, if I ask God for peace, it's already here, it's in me. The Holy Spirit can do this. You guys remember the story about the, uh, the disciples when they were in the boat and the storm came up and the winds and the wave and everything's raging and they, they're freaking out and where was Jesus? He was sleeping. He could give a rip. He's just like, you know what, storm, waves, who cares, right? And they go, oh, Lord, Lord, what are you going to do? Look, there's a storm, there's all of this. And he goes, guys, I'm sleeping. Hey, remember that I'm here with you. It's no big deal. If it's no big deal to me, it should be no big deal to, to you, right? Because I'm here going through the storm in life with you. We sang that song in, in earlier in worship, Cornerstone. And what does it say? In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. That Jesus is our anchor. That we have the weapon of peace. That sometimes we forgot that that's in our arsenal, that's in our equipment, that's in our Batman tool belt or whatever, right? The utility belt. Let's bring out that. We can put on the shoes that are quick to run to peace. The shield of faith. We just keep holding on to our faith no matter what our circumstances. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then we, it actually says this, after all that armor, it says, and then to pray, that we would pray for all times in all circumstances, that prayer is so super powerful. And some of the stuff I look in there, the weapons that we have, God's word and his truth. The guy in a mini church this past week, I heard from Pastor Scott, he said, there's a guy in my mini church this last week that got in over his head in his job. He didn't get himself in those circumstances. His higher up left, went on vacation or leave or whatever. He got thrust into his role. He's running around scrambling, going, I wasn't trained for this. I wasn't trained for this. I'm freaking out. He said the only thing that got him through was the truth of the word of God, even that Stephen Furtick preached last week that said, you're doing better than you think you are. And the guy preached that to himself and to his circumstances and to the enemy. And he says, this is hard. I'm not trained. I'm not ready for this. You know what? But I'm okay. I'm doing better than I think I am. Because of 1 John 4, 4 that says, he that is in me is greater than he that is in this world. So if God's on my side, the Holy Spirit's in me, he's going to get me through this week. And we have the word of God, which is a, a weapon in our arsenal to hold on to. We have the Holy Spirit who's there going through life with us. And another thing it says that we have is the shield of faith, which I think is really cool. 
Because in the midst of whatever situation we're walking through in life, all we got to do is put up that shield of faith. We just got to preach to ourselves, but I have God, but I'm a child of God, but God is stronger. I'm going to get through this, and we hold on to that faith, and when the enemy's shooting the fiery darts at us, they just hit, they bounce off, and they're extinguished. And this is the kind of faith that I'm talking about, a faith to keep holding on, a faith that, that Winston Churchill actually verbalized in the middle of World War II, and it looks like the Nazis were going to totally just invade England. He was a prime minister, and he spoke these words, and I, I like Winston Churchill. I actually got to go to London and go to the Winston Churchill Museum with my dad, because my dad's super history buff and World War II guy, and we went to this museum, and I, and I saw this, but I remember this one quote that he said that I think relates directly to our faith and our authority. He says this, if you're going through hell, keep going. How good is that? You know that the shield of faith in our lives allows us to walk through hell and to keep walking through it because we're going to come out victorious on the other side. That if we're going through the hardest of situations, I don't know where you're at right now in this room or what you've gone through in life, but when you hold on to your faith and you put that shield up, it's like, oh boy, I got to go through that. Shield up, let's go. Ah, let's walk through this thing because God's got my back. The shield of faith. And these are the weapons that we really have to hold on to. Here's the second thing I want you to write down about being equipped about God's authority. The second thing I want you to write down is this. I am equipped to help people know God. Because back up in verse 5, it said, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. I am equipped to help people know God. Sometimes we're scared. Oh, people have questions about God, and I don't know what to do, and they're asking, and I'm, I don't really have the answers. You know what Paul, the apostle, one of his greatest tools or weapons that he had in his arsenal was? Simply his testimony. And all of us in this room, we have a testimony. A testimony is, here was my life before I met Jesus Christ. Here's how I met him. Here's what has changed after. No one can argue you out of your testimony because you lived it. It's not, it's not a matter of opinion. It's not a matter of argument. No one can say anything because I'm living proof. And everywhere Paul went starting churches, that's what he always started off with. Hey, I used to be this Pharisee guy, hater of Christians, against God. Well, not against God, but against Jesus Christ in the new testament model that's going on he was all for the old mosaic law he was a, a good pharisee but then he was on his way to damascus gets blinded he sees jesus he's freaking out everything changed and now look at my life and the, one of the greatest tools that we have that equips us to help people know god is just the facts of our life i used to be like this jesus changed my life i'm living proof and we got to get off the couch cowering in fear and walk in the power of our own testimony and just tell people i don't have the whole word of god memorized but look at my life. Look at what Jesus did in my life. That's a mighty tool and a weapon that we have that we need to let our Christianity show. Because you guys know there's a lot of things in our life that we don't want to show, right? You, there's some things you don't want to show, like even in the physical, like your slip is showing. Oh my, right? There's stuff like that, right? Like, hey, your underwear is showing. Pull your pants up, right? There's stuff you don't want to show, but there's also stuff that's bad in our lives that we don't want to show, right? Hey, you know what? By your actions, you're kind of selfish. Oh, oh. Hey, and the way you're treating those people, that's, that's real stingy. And you know, the, the stuff over here, that, how come you're so critical about that? Some of that stuff, we don't want that stuff to show. So when we live lives, our testimony, our living proof of our lives, we live out loud with love, with generosity, with faith, with forgiveness, with acceptance, with reaching out to people and not judging people. When we live like that, you know what begins to show in our lives and people talk about? Hey, that guy's Christianity is showing. Hey, Jesus is showing in him. See, our testimony is our Christianity showing in life. It's the Jesus in us that's come shining through. That is a huge weapon to the enemy. That is a huge tool that we have to equip ourselves so that people can know God. In fact, it says in Matthew 5, 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Your Christianity should show. And there's a lot of things like, oh my gosh, your, your Christianity is showing. Where, 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 you know? Like, oh, it is? Oh, awesome, I'll bring it out, you know? If it's my Christianity that needs to show, then so be it. It's going to bring people to knowing God. Prayer is another valuable weapon that God gives us to help, to equip us so that people can know God. And we discount it. We always go to prayer as a second, third, fourth resort. First of all, it's let me fix it. Let me see what I can do. We need to go to prayer first because prayer is far more powerful sometimes, honestly, than any words that we're going to speak to someone, even living our testimony. Sometimes people are so hard against it, and I don't want to know your God. I don't, don't tell me about it. Don't talk about it. And so you know what you do? But I'm trying to talk that person into knowing God. I'm trying to talk him into church. It's not working. But you know what you're supposed to do in that case? You pray him into church. 
You pray him into a relationship with God. Because let's be honest here. How many of you sitting here right now are a result of someone praying you into the kingdom of God? Come on, let's see those hands. You know that there was someone that was praying for you for days, weeks, months, possibly even years. And you're a result of sitting here today because someone was praying. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is so powerful. That's another weapon that God equips us with. Um, And then just speaking that love in people's lives and the grace and the forgiveness and not speaking judgment over them. Um, speaking truth. John 8, 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you just speak the truth of who Jesus really is, not who the, the people in this world think Christians are, right? Oh, you're those guys on TV that are hypocrites and you want all my money and you're this and you've got this, this agenda and you're so against everybody else and everyone's a sinner and you just judge everybody. But when you actually speak the real words of Jesus Christ, which is truth, love, forgiveness, grace on people, and your actions show that. Yesterday when we were passing out the water bottles, I got this the last time we passed out the water bottles too. I passed it out to a lady, you know, and we're, we're standing there on the side and they're stuck in the, the lane. So they're stopped, you give them water, oh, thank you. And then they're sitting in their car and you're, you're standing right by them, right? So they're just kind of like. <laughs> and you were just like, hey, you know, we're standing there, Hope Chapel, right? And they're just like, oh man, when's the light gonna change, right? <laughs> and they're, they're looking at the passengers next to them. Are we supposed to give them money, or what do we do here, right? And I see her, like, start digging around in the ashtray and everything, and then she comes up with, like, a dollar and change, right? She goes, here, this is all I have, you know, just take this. And I was like, hey, and I'm like, what? No. (laughs) I will not accept your money, right? I didn't say it like that, but basically I told her, I go, no, this isn't about money. No, we don't want you to give us any money. Keep your money. We want to be a blessing to you. We're from Hope Chapel. God loves you. We just want to be a blessing to you. And you know what it does? It begins to change people's mindset. When you walk out the truth of God and you show them it's about love, it's not about judgment, that is a powerful weapon because people don't want to be argued into the kingdom of God. They, they want to understand what love is really about. They want to know the grace that they've never been shown before and the patience and the peace and all that that comes with it. So we have been equipped to do this and obedience to God is always the goal. You know where it said like, um, we, after, we have, after you have become fully obedient, Paul is just after obedience here, not obedience to him. He's not on, a, on an ego trip where it's, it's all about me. But what he's saying is obedience to God is the best choice you can make in your life. And we know that because how many of us have gone through failed relationships, failed decisions when it comes to our money, terrible choices when it comes to living our life and, and saying yes to things that we shouldn't be saying yes to. And we realize that it's only the times when we're fully obedient to God and doing things his way that everything kind of falls into place and we're okay. Even when the bad times come, if we're still obedient to God and his message, everything's going to be okay. It's all about obedience to God. And then he goes on in verse 7, where I wrote in your notes, godly authority is used to build up and not tear down. Verse 7 says, look at the obvious facts. Those who say they belong to Christ must recognize that we belong to Christ as much as they do. I may seem to be boasting too much about the authority given to us by, by the Lord, but our authority builds you up. It doesn't tear you down. So I will not be ashamed of using my authority. Here's a point I want to make. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. God expects me to bring out his best in others. God expects me to bring out his best in others. When I use my God-given authority to speak into people's lives and to say whatever I need to say, I got to make sure my words are building people up and not tearing people down. Sometimes, guys, we slip and we let our Christianity and how good we're doing turn into comparing ourselves with other people, and then we begin to talk down to other people. And I know none of you in the room have that problem, but sometimes my life, I gotta admit, I do that sometimes, right? Is that sometimes we look all good, and then we start to kind of talk down to people, and we start to tear them down a little bit with our words and judge them. But God expects me to bring out his best in others. You know, I'm actually not authorized to tear people down. Write that down. God does not authorize you to use your words in a way where you're going to destroy someone and hurt them because our words carry weight. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Proverbs 12.25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down, but a good word makes it glad. There's an interesting thing because some translations use kind of different wording right here where it says a good word makes the heart glad. How many of you guys' Bibles say a cheerful word makes the heart glad? Some of you guys have that translation? You know, the proper translation for this is actually 
a good word. I looked up the original word because I was reading in different Bibles that one said cheerful, one said good. Is there a difference, God? So I looked up the original meaning of this Hebrew word here for good word, and it actually doesn't mean cheerful. There's a big difference between cheerful and the word good and what the word good actually means. And here's the difference. The word that's used here that says a good word makes the heart glad, here's the definition. A valuable and beneficial word makes the heart glad. You guys see the difference between valuable and beneficial and just the word cheerful? Cheerful is the easy way out, isn't it? Cheerful is when you just kind of go, hey man, God bless you, have a great day. That's cheerful, that's light, but it's real shallow. And what God is wanting is that we'd speak good words that are of value and that are beneficial to other people. There's a big difference here, is that we're supposed to bring out the best in other people by speaking good words. Here's what I mean. Years ago when I was in college, I was dating... Well, Kanani, but we weren't married. I was dating her. We broke up, and I was kind of single on the market, and I hooked up with this other girl. She was a good, godly Christian girl. I thought it was like a good relationship. We were dating for like a month. Uh, her parents were Christians. My parents were Christians. They knew each other. It was looking really great, and we're all excited, you know, new young puppy love or, you know, whatever. You're just all excited. And I remember going to this pastor's conference and meeting uh, another pastor, this woman that was there. And I, I met her, and I kind of explained to her, yeah, I'm in this new relationship, and you know her. And she said, oh, yeah, I know. I know her, too, and that's really neat and everything. And then, then a little bit later at dinner or something, this, this pastor kind of goes, hey, I think God's got a word for you about your relationship. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm always, I'm always li listening and looking to hear words from God. And so this lady, I know she moved in prophetic words a lot, so I was like, oh, this is cool. This will be encouraging, you know, this new relationship. I think it's going good. And she goes, I got a word from you, Proverbs 4, 23. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Another translation says, guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. And so I'm expecting to hear like a really good, encouraging word that's going to build up my, my relationship, and you're awesome, and you're blessed, and God loves you. And it was just a weird word that just said, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. You know, like kind of, it wasn't a negative word, it didn't tear me down, but it wasn't necessarily like, you're going to be blessed and you're going to have a million kids and you're going to, you know, whatever. It was like, it was just kind of like a word that was a word of scripture from the Lord. And you know what? I went home because whenever people say I got a word from the Lord, I prayerfully consider it, right? I weigh it. So I went home and I prayed on it. And I felt God was telling me, search your heart, Carl. Is this the right girl for you? Because you know I have a calling on your life. Is this girl going to walk out that calling with you? Do you really have love for her? Is this really going in the direction you want it to go? Because if it's not, you probably shouldn't waste her time or your time because you know I've got a call on your life and I've got a call on her life too. And so it kind of made me sit back. And you know what? We broke up. We broke up because of that word from God. And you know what? That girl, still a Christian, she went on to marry a great guy and have, has a great life out there. But, but I know she married the right one. And I know that I married the right one. Amen. And I got Kanani. And our, my life has been a blessing ever since. But you know that word that, that that pastor gave to me that day, it wasn't just a cheerful word. Hey, I'm great to see you're doing good in your relationship. God bless you. It was a good word of value and benefit to my life that changed the course of my life because she was listening to God and going, I want to give good words, not just cheerful words. Am I, am I getting through to you guys? That God wants us to use our words correctly. Let's give good, beneficial, speak good words, not just cheerful words. Hebrews 3.13 says, says for us to exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The word exhort here means to encourage, to strengthen, to help. And the Bible is telling us that we ought to do that. We ought to build someone up daily. But how many of us actually, if we take a look at our lives, every single day we're caught building someone up? A lot of us are like, whoa, it's, maybe it's been a while since I actually really, truly built someone up. I'd like you to maybe write down in your notes to make a goal to try to build someone up every single day this week. Try to look for an opportunity every day, no matter who you're with, Look for the opportunities to build people up because, man, we could change the world. If we really started preaching positive messages, giving good and valuable words to people, like I said, one lady one day gave me a word, changed my life, the whole course of my life. Let's practice giving good words. Here's the fourth thing I want you to write down. I use my godly authority to speak life to others and speak death to their sin. We're supposed to be people that speak life and build people up but there is a time that we speak death. And you know what we speak death to? We speak death to sin. We speak death to sin in our lives and to other people's lives. Paul said that we had to die, die daily 
to ourself, to the, to the flesh, to the sinful things that come at us every single day. And there's time to speak life into other people, but there's a time, like just recently, when my friend called me and he basically said, hey, you know what, I just got into it with my wife. It's not looking good. And you know what, we're going to get a divorce. And I just went, what? You and your wife are Christian? And I kind of came back at him in text, you know? You know how when you yell at people in text? It's kind of fun, like exclamations and capitals and all that kind of stuff, right? And I just kind of said, no way. Nope, that's not happening. I go, I refuse to, to let that happen. That is never going to happen. I go, you are made for one another. You're both Christians. You owe it to God and to each other and to your kids. God is going to see you through this. No, and you know what I did? I spoke death to that lie that was in his life right there because that's sin and that's wrong. And he goes, well, I don't know. I'm just you know, going through this. I just want to be alone. I said, nope, I'm coming over right now and we're going to talk. And I drove right over, picked him up, and then we had a talk. And I basically spoke and preached a sermon of death to the lies and the sin that says God is not able to heal your marriage, to fix it, to give you something that is God bless. Amen? And so there is a proper time. For the most part, you speak life to people. Use the words right. But there's a time when you've got to speak death. And maybe it's in your own life. I'm a failure. I'm no good. I'm this. No. In Jesus' name, I rebuke that death to you, sinful thoughts and lies that come upon me. There is a time to speak death, and that's the people's sin. But let's go on because i got to finish. Here's the next point. Um, godly authority comes from within. Now, this is the point that's basically they're critiquing Paul and criticizing him on what he looks like in outward appearance and outward circumstances. In verses 1 and 2, we already read that, that they're saying that, oh, you, you look like you got authority when you write letters, but we see you in real life, and you're not much to look at. In verse 7, in our Bibles, it says, look at the obvious facts. That is not the real proper translation of what it's trying to say here. The better, deeper translation is this for verse 7. You look at things only on the basis of appearance. Okay, write that in your Bible if it says something differently. The real translation is, you look at things only on the basis of appearance. And then in verse 9, he says, I'm not trying to frighten you by my letters. For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he's weak, his speeches are worthless. Those people should realize that our actions when we arrive in person will be as forceful as what we say in our letters from afar. How's that? They go, oh, your letters are big, but really you're like weak and your speeches are worthless. He goes, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say that we're as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are, but they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Basically, Paul is saying, you guys can say all that you want based on what I look like, but here's what Paul knew. I don't need your approval because I know I'm doing the job. I don't need your approval. I don't, I don't care what you think of how I look or my speeches because I'm doing the job that God has called me to. Here's a fifth thing I want you to write down. You don't need anyone's approval. Just do the job. Use your godly authority because you know it's in you because God has authorized it. People are going to look at your life and they're going to go, you you're trying to pray for this, and you're trying to change the world, and you're talking all this Christian stuff, blah, blah, blah. You could never, not you, right? People know your past, and they bring it up a lot in your face. And you need to realize, I don't need anyone's approval. I'm just going to do the job God's called me to do, because he empowers me, because godly authority comes from within. I just, I kind of wrote this down in my notes for myself to preach to myself this week, is that you don't have to have a title to have a role in the kingdom of God. You don't have to have a title. It doesn't matter what people think about you or say about you. You don't have to have a title to have a role in the kingdom of God. Just do your job. You walk in your authority. God knows. God knows that real power comes from within and doesn't always necessarily show. Because I know that sitting in this room right now are countless numbers of pastors. Pastors are simply shepherds that are leading other sheep. That many of you guys have people in your lives that are following you and you are their spiritual authority. They call you when they need prayer. They call you when they got questions about Christianity. You're pastors. You're sitting in this room. You don't even know it. There's missionaries in here. Missionaries not necessarily going halfway around the world, though some of you have, some of you will, some of you are. But I'm talking missionaries. You get out of your Christian comfort zone and you go into dark places and you shine the light of Jesus Christ. It could be work. It could be at paddling practice. It could be, you know, on the, on the sports field. It could be in school. But you're going into the dark places and you're shining the light. You're a missionary, but you don't need that title. You just do the job. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, what people may say about you. You know the stuff they said about Paul is, hey, you speak loud in the letters, but we've seen you in real life. You know, the Bible doesn't really ever give us a description of what Paul looked like, really. It says he, he dealt with something that was like kind of a, a thorn in the flesh, something that bothered him. 
and scholars and, and commentators would think, was that maybe he walked with a limp or a, a handicap? People think maybe he was blind because he wrote in big letters. He had people write the letters for him. Maybe it was just an irritating person. Maybe it was a demonic force always hassling him. We don't know too much about Paul. But from outside sources, outside the Bible, sometimes there's spiritual, or not spiritual, there's historical books written about the life and times of things that happened during the Bible times. And so they allow us sometimes to, to build up the case for what actually happened in the Bible. So there's, there's one book that was written it's kind of like a, some people say it could be true, some people say it might not be, but it helps me to visualize what Paul was like because I'm trying to think, why, Paul, you sound like such a strong guy, but in, in real life, people talked about you and said you weren't much to look at. And so I, I'm really curious to know what Paul looked like, right? But there's this other outside resource that kind of says, this is what the apostle Paul looked like. And we can take it or leave it for truth or fiction or whatever, but here's what it says about Paul. Number one, he was small, okay? The word Paul in Latin actually means small, no offense to anyone named Paul out there, sorry, that's just what your name means, small, but it says Paul was small, and here's the description he gives, this is interesting, small, balding, bow-legged, but well-built, with eyebrows meeting, world's first unibrow, okay, <laughs> and with a long nose, and I'm just trying to think this like short, balding guy with the eyebrows meeting, all that, and I just start thinking about Seinfeld, and I start thinking about George Costanza, <laughs> I'm just thinking, the Apostle Paul might have looked like George Costanza. That's kind of funny. But people are judging him because he looks like this, right? Short, bow-legged, unibrow. Hey, guys, you know? And, um, but more than that, if you look at Paul and you look at his life, his circumstances, he was a Pharisee, which was the highest level of religious scholars at the time, Mosaic law, well-respected status, born a Roman citizen. But you know what? He was a failure in that. Why? Because when he met Jesus Christ, he gave up his status, his position, and all of that and he began to go on a mission, walking around all of these places in, the, in the, the biblical Mediterranean world, starting churches, talking about this new Jesus guy that supposedly came, died, and rose from the dead. How crazy is that? And Paul sold his life out, gave up his reputation, all of that. He already doesn't have looks going for him, but now he lost all of his status. He's traveling around, and everywhere he goes to plant a church, you know what they do for him? They punch him in the face. They beat him up. They throw stones at him. They whip him. They persecute him. So now everybody's going, you're not much to look at. You gave up your position. You're a glutton for punishment and persecution. What in the world? Who, what gives you the right? But you know what? That didn't slow Paul down, men's approval. He just did the job. Amen? He just went about changing the entire world for Christianity. You and I are sitting in church today because the Apostle Paul went big and spread Christianity around the known world at the time. How awesome is that? What about Moses? I started thinking about other guys in the Bible. If it's not about what's outside that counts, if God, godly authority comes from within, what about other leaders? Do other leaders like Paul? What about Moses? God called Moses to speak for him, to lead his people, and Moses' first words to God were, you know what, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I have faltering lips. But that didn't stop Moses from doing his job. He became the great leader. He led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. He did all of these awesome leadership things. Jeremiah, when God called Jeremiah to speak for him as a prophet, Jeremiah said, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. But you know what? He became one of the greatest prophets listed in the scripture, in the Bible. Didn't stop him from doing his job. David, he was just a kid. When he was called by God, there, he was the youngest of eight brothers. And you guys know that. It's like, oh, you're the baby of the family. You know, you're like a runt, right? He's out there, the shepherd boy. And yet it didn't stop David from stepping up, from de defeating Goliath, from becoming the greatest king that Israel has ever known, from going all the way into Acts of the New Testament where it said David was a man after God's own heart. Oh, but he's just a little shepherd boy. He's just the youngest kid. No, but you know what? God saw that authority comes from within and he can do great and mighty things because God's in his life. What about David's son? When David died, the, the kingdom went to Solomon, his son. Biblical scholars believe that Solomon was anywhere from 12 to 20 years old when he became king. How many of you guys know he had some big shoes to fill? And personally, I can relate to stepping into that job, right? And he stepped into that job, and he was this young guy, and he actually told God, God, I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. But that didn't stop him from doing his job, from knowing that godly authority came from within. He became the wealthiest and the wisest king that Israel ever knew. What about this one? One of the greatest miracles Jesus ever did in scripture when he had 5,000 men gathered on the hillside. He was teaching and he told his disciples, hey, go feed these guys. They said, no way are we gonna get enough food. We have no faith that this can happen. 5,000 people plus their wives plus the kids, no way are we gonna feed them. But guess who stepped up? A little boy. A little boy stepped up and goes, hey, Jesus, I got some bread and some fish. Do your thing, right? 
And Jesus went on. That boy helped him do one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in Scripture. But all he was from the outside appearance was a little boy with some extra food he didn't eat, right? What about this one? Jesus. Look what Matthew 15, 54 says. He returned to Nazareth, his hometown, when he taught there in the synagogue. Everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. Wait, he's just the carpenter's kid. And we know his mom, Mary, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. In fact, all of his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn these things? See, even with Jesus, they looked at outward appearance, and they're like, you're the carpenter's kid. Didn't you build me a chair once? You, you think you're the son of God? Wait a minute, I know your brothers. My sister used to date your brother Joseph or whatever. There, right? They're just like, this guy from Nazareth, and they wrote him off. But God knew and Jesus knew it's not about the appearance on the outside and the circumstances on the outside. Our godly authority comes from within. Does that empower you this morning? Don't judge yourself on what other people in this world will judge you on. Just know that you've got a God who's bigger. That the God within you is bigger than anything the world or the enemy can throw at you. Any circumstances that come against you, I got a big God and he's in me and he's empowered me and I'm going to step out and I'm going to act in my authority. That the power doesn't come from the outside, it's what's inside that really matters. And if you want to know where this power really comes from, it comes from our identity in Christ. I'm going to read to you guys a list of things that I think is very powerful that the Bible says about you and it says about me. You guys ready for this? I want you to get excited about this because this is who you are. I want you to walk out of this room today feeling empowered, knowing what God has given you. Here's what God says about us. I'm a new creation. I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. The debt against me has been canceled. Is that a good word? That you don't have to believe in your past and all those things that come back to haunt you. The debt's been canceled, guys. You're clean. You're free to move on. I am holy without blame before him in love. I'm victorious. I'm set free. I'm strong in the Lord. I'm dead to sin. I am more than a conqueror. I am a co-heir with Jesus Christ. I'm accepted in Christ. I'm complete in him. I'm crucified with Christ and I'm alive in Christ. I'm free from condemnation. I was born of God and the evil one does not touch me. I am his faithful follower. I am the light of the world. I'm the righteousness of God. I am chosen. I'm God's workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. I'm being changed into his likeness day by day. I am beloved of God. I'm firmly rooted, established in my faith, and overflowing with gratefulness and thankfulness. I am a child of God. I am Christ's friend. I'm a temple, the dwelling place of God. His spirit, his life dwell in me. I'm a member of Christ's body. Come on, 9 o'clock service. You've got to get excited about this stuff. I'm an expression of the life of Christ because he is in my life. I'm a member of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. I died with Christ and died to the power of sin's rule over my life. I have overcome the world. I can do all things, everything, through Christ who strengthens me. I've received the Spirit of God into my life that I might know the things freely given to me by God. I have the right to come boldly before the throne of God to find mercy and grace in time of need. I have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I am not the great I am, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can we praise God for that? That right there is where our godly authority comes from. And we need to walk in that authority. We need to resist the enemy. We need to intercede for people. We need to step in and know that we are equipped to help people find God, and we can walk in that every single day. Is that a good word this morning? Yes. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray and get you out of here. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the authority that comes with our identity in you, Lord. It's not an authority that we have on ourselves. It's not because we're cool, Lord, and it certainly isn't about our looks or our circumstances. It's about you within us and the authority that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would walk out this door right now and take hold of that authority that you've given us. Lord, those, those situations in life right now that seem to be defeating us, knocking us down, causing us to doubt who you are in our lives, causing us to believe the lies of the enemy, Lord, we come against them in Jesus' name right now. We speak death to those things, Lord, and we speak life, your life, into us, into our authority, into our friends and our family around us, Father God. Help us to walk in that authority, to not put up with all those excuses and all those things that we hear, Lord, but to stand in integrity and in our faith in you and in the power that you've given us, Lord, and say no to that stuff. Anything that gets in the way of us having the best life possible with you, Father God, we want to come against it and take authority over that. And Lord, I pray right now if there's anybody in the room 
I want to say a prayer for you specifically if you have never taken that first step towards Jesus Christ, the step that really, the step that will change everything for the course of your eternity, the step that basically just says in your heart, God, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I want to follow you and I want to love you. I want to do things your way. God, I want to become a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. You're smarter. You're bigger. You're better. I want to do things your way from here on. If you want to make that decision here this morning, I would love to lead you in a simple prayer that would do so. It would change your life in eternity forever, starting right now. And what we're going to do is I'm going to say a prayer in a minute here. I'm going to pray the words out loud. I'm going to ask that you would just pray them with me in your heart. You don't have to pray them out loud right now. You just pray along with me in your heart. God is judging you on your heart. He sees your heart. If you want to pray this prayer to say yes to God and to become a Christian, I'm going to ask that you would let me know that really simply by, by doing something in a minute here. I'm going to count to three. And if that's what you would like to say and pray with me, I'm just going to ask you that when I count to three, that you would raise your hand. People seated around you, their eyes are closed. They don't see you, but I see you. I want to know who I'm praying with because I'm excited for you. I'm blessed to be praying this prayer along with you, and God sees you. Now, that's a prayer you'd like to pray right now to become a Christian. I'm going to count to three. I'm just going to ask simply, you raise your hand and hold it up so I see you. I just want to know who I'm praying with. Ready? One, two, and three. Just lift those hands. I see one right there in the back. I'm looking around. I see two right here. I'm looking. Just hold it up so I can see you. I saw about two people in the room today. Father God, thank you for those hands. Thank you for those hearts and those lives right now. And if that was you, go ahead and put your hands down right now. I see tears, and that's a really good thing. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to your people right now. Put your hands on and just pray this with me. God, I'm here this morning, Lord, and I realize that I need you in my life. I want you in my life. Lord, I want to walk in your power and your authority. I'm sick of what this world and the enemy is doing to beat me up. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of living the life I've been living. There's got to be more. Lord, I believe that what I found here this morning is that more, is you, is your life, is your love, is your freedom and your liberty, Lord. So I am taking hold of that. Lord, right now in my heart, I tell you, yes, I want all that you have for me. I believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for my sins to put that sin to death, to pay the price so I wouldn't have to deal with that stuff. Not only did he die for my sin, but he rose again for my sake so that I might have victory over death and guilt and shame and sin in my life, that I might have eternal life with you and the other wonderful people in the family of God that are seated around me right now. Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross. I believe that you did that for me. From this moment on, Lord, I, I repent. I turn around. From the way I was living for myself in this world, Lord, I turn back. I turn to you now. Lord, I promise to live according to your word, to pray, to have a relationship with you, to go to church, to get baptized, to receive the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, I need some help. Show me your power. Show me your miracles. Lord, I embrace everything that you have for me. From this moment on, Lord, I know I am your child, I am in your kingdom, and that as I live for you, you are living for me. Lord, I love you and I thank you for what this means. I look forward to this, this life that I have ahead of me and all that you're going to do on into eternity. Thank you, Father God, in Jesus' mighty name. The church said, amen, and we praise God to those two people this morning. Praise God.